You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast for the second, third, fourth, millionth time, however many times. First, whatever. Uh, I'm your co-host, Josie. <laughs> I'm Spencer. I don't know what <laughs> I'm trying something new. It's not really working out. I'm uh, fucking Josie, okay? <laughs> yes, and I'm Spencer. And as y'all have been listening for a while, you know that I'm carrying a human. And this human gave me a rough day today. So I got the giggles <laughs> because I'm exhausted. <laughs> and I had a Halloween carnival yesterday, so I'm exhausted in a different way in a less nice way <laughs> in a less cute way but anyways um through our exhaustion we're gonna talk to our friend Cortland coffee like the drink but spelled differently Cortland is the co-host of the thereafter podcast and is here to talk to us all about this little deconstruction community we find ourselves in amongst other things yeah Welcome. Hi, it's so good to be here. I'm like super excited, slightly nervous. Why are you uh, nervous? I don't know. I'm a fan. It's like I'm like uh, just I'm a fan, and I'm I'm used to being the interviewer, mm. not the interviewee. You know, mm. but I mean, you guys seem like we're just gonna have a conversation, so it's gonna be cool. Oh, absolutely. And if you have any questions for us, feel free to ask. Maybe it'll yeah. help with your nerves. Yes. <laughs> I'll flip it around. We're just, today we're interviewing. Uh, no. Honestly, we're just buds hanging out. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, we actually had a guest that very much uh, interviewed us, took me and Josie to church. And <laughs> yeah, for real. So, so yeah, if you, you just feel inspired to do so, please do. Cool. Open yeah, to- we might get into that. I love it. But before we do, before we uh, completely derail our whole podcast, tell us about you. Uh, what do we, yeah, tell us all about your life story, your testimony. Where are you, how you got to now? Cool. Um, yeah, like, so I've been thinking about it because I, I haven't really given like my story um, on like, you know, long form like this before. Uh, and there's a lot. So, I mean, I guess I, I grew up in church. I grew up Southern Baptist in Kansas city, Kansas, uh, suburbs of Kansas city, Kansas in a very churchy area, uh, and super, super, super church kid. Uh, my dad was an aspiring youth pastor, uh, who, dropped out of Dallas theological seminary when my brother was born and became a UPS man, but like missed his calling as like a pastor. He like, and so like, we kind of grew up as like, we were his like church, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, he didn't get to do it professionally, but he got to do it at home, you know? Uh, and I was homeschooled. Um, if that tells you, usually that just sums up a lot of like my childhood, just like church kid homeschooled and like people get 90% of yes. <laughs> what happened. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that was, that was that. Um, I could ramble. So just stop me if I'm rambling and, and feel free to ask specific questions, but I, my parents were really hands-off parents. So they were kind of those parents that was like, we told you the rules, we expect you to follow them, but we're not really going to check up on you in any way. Um, and so I pretty quickly, like in my teenage years, just like didn't vibe and stopped, you know, being a church person, um, and got into like hardcore music. Um, you guys had, did you guys have Mason Meninga on the podcast? Uh, he's on the schedule. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think he's so, like this week. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right, cool. Yeah, put his episode out first. He's the best. <laughs> uh, but Mason and I uh, are very into very similar music. Uh, we both got into that church kid hardcore music. And that Amen. was like, yeah, are you too? Oh, yeah. I, former uh, scene kid. Yeah. My, uh, I, have an, I have a brother that's five years older than me and when we moved to our small town in arizona his like first friend best friend to this day was a youth pastor's kid but was like 
cool and so like <laughs> you know like would listen to like hardcore and like screamo and so got my brother really into that and my brother was like my idol so yes like my my 16th birthday like he took me to see the double wars prada and i hell was like yeah. i was like this is the best day of my life <laughs> hell yeah and that was that was the scene like devil's wear prada norma jean the yes. chariot yes like- all of it under oath and i was like finally christians are cool man i was like <laughs> we're fucking cool man we're headlining a warp tour okay yes uh, <laughs> my friends would go to warp tour and like my friends that were like i hate jesus and they'd go to warp tour and come back like with under oath or like double wars prada shirts i'd be like oh you hate jesus huh and like, <laughs> totally like superiority complex oh yeah, my dude. gosh i have a friend who didn't grow up christian at all she actually co-hosts an episode of my podcast with me uh where we interviewed some some uh like hardcore uh podcasters uh like music podcasters punk hardcore music podcasters and i we were like listening to under oath and there's that song where i'm pretty sure it's uh aaron marsh from copeland uh is on the song and they have that verse is like and jesus i'm ready to come right Right? and so (laughs) sorry that's the song that's my version of it But I'm like, right on. I told my friend, I was like, what the fuck? When you were a kid and seeing this, like about Jesus, like she was like, yeah, I don't know. It was just cool, man. I was just like, and I was like, yes, dude, under oath made Jesus cool. Um, um, yeah. My, my youth group one time, you know, Paramore is like an offshoot Christian band. Like mm-hmm, yep. they like started as a Christian band, but then like didn't end that way. Uh, my youth group definitely sang the Paramore song, my heart, like in worship because <laughs> we wanted to be cool because yes. they were like, oh, we're like, Haley Williams wrote this song about jesus so we're gonna sing it in church oh i grew up with cousins who were really into like death metal so i avoided anything similar at all costs i don't know what any of you are talking about right now <laughs> well there's jesus death metal so yeah oh gosh oh, yeah, yeah My, jesus recorded yeah. the market on death metal for like a minute like in the early 2000s Ooh. Like, just for a hot minute and then and then now none of them are christians anymore yeah no well, i mean who amongst us <laughs> This is true. Sorry, Spencer. <laughs> me working in ministry, it's fine. I mean, I work at a church. Look at me. Yeah. Well, yeah. then. Anyways, Cortland, more about you. Yeah. So, I mean, that was where I was like 14, 15, 16. And that was where I found my scene. I found a local hardcore venue. It was in the basement of a church. I started making friends outside of, you know, kind of my traditional uh, group, dyed my hair black. I had that like scene kid patch where you, you know, bleached a patch. Oh, of it. gosh. Oh, yeah. I had, Obviously, like, your parents were cool because my parents yeah. were never. <laughs> No, this is the thing. Like my parents were just hands off. They would, I would, they would just like, I would do things that I wasn't allowed to do. And they'd be like, Hey, what the fuck? Um, and you're not supposed to do that. I mean, they wouldn't say fuck, but they would be like, you know, and then, and then I would be like, Oh, I'm sorry. And they're like, well, don't do it again. And then that was it. And then I would just go on with my life. <laughs> so, so at 16, I, I dropped out of school. Um, and I moved out of my house and I had an older brother who was kind of like failure to launch. He was 19 and like, he wouldn't get out of the house. He was actually smart looking back. Cause he was like, wait, it's free here. Like we can live here forever for free. And what are you, yeah. what are you doing? But I was the kid that was like, I want to be on my own. Fuck these people, man. They're trying to control us. We need to get out. Mm-hmm. And so I made a deal with my parents. I was like, listen, I'll get Cody, my brother out of the house but I need to move out with him. Right. And they were like, all right, this sounds like a twofer. You guys can move out together. Right. And, uh, so yeah, so I moved out of my house in 16 and, uh, almost 17. And I, uh, quickly realized like life was just kind of shitty, man. When you're a 16, 17 year old kid, you have your own place. Everybody comes over to your house to get fucked up, to have sex, to like, you know, do whatever awful things they can't do at their own house. Right. Mm-mm. Not my house. Cool. Yeah. Portland, I don't know what's going on. I'm so upset. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was not my vibe either. I didn't really dig it. Um, and at that time, it was funny because like I kind of went through this like early deconstruction at that point where I was reading a bunch. It was right when Shane Claiborne put out Irresistible Revolution. Mm. Is familiar? Mm-hmm. Um, Tony Campolo was putting out shit. Bart Campolo was still a Christian at the time. He was running Mission Year, which is like this. It was this kind of like radical mission communal um, thing. Uh, Me without you. Spencer, mm-hmm. you familiar with Me without you at all? 
Mm-hmm. They were in the scene. All right. Well, they were, they were like doing like hardcore kind of like spoken word, hardcore stuff. Aaron Weiss, the lead singer, he was living with the simple way community, which is Shane Claiborne's community uh, in Philadelphia. So like living communally and they were calling it like new monasticism. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was kind of like right around this time that the, the emerging church was like, kind of like up and coming. It's like 2005, 2006, right mm-hmm. around there. And, uh, I thought that was cool. I was like, this is a whole different like version of Christianity. That's like, you know, kind of radical. And like, uh, there was this organization called the Jesus radicals that were like Christian Mm. anarchists. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah. I think they're still doing shit. Um, Shane Claiborne came and talked at our school one time. It was him and some other guy. I don't know the other guy, but they literally were debating like capitalism versus like communism, basically. And you know, Shane Shane Claiborne was just like, "Fuck capitalism," but he was on a yeah. Christian campus, so like, didn't say it exactly like that. <laughs> and I remember sitting there being like, "This is the most radical idea I've ever heard in my life." And now, um, what, like seven, eight years later, obviously, I've heard more radical. But at the time, I was like whoa, like this is freaking wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so for me, like this appealed to me, I was like, all right, there's a way to do, cause I had pretty much given up. I was like church the way I grew with it was kind of shitty and it was like oppressive and it was kind of fake and, you know, wealthy. Like everyone I went to church with was rich and white and, you know, and I was like, there's this, like, there's this way to do this kind of like radical Christianity where you can say fuck and you can smoke cigarettes and like, you know, you can drink beer and whatever. Right. Right. And uh, it was around that time I was 17 at this point and I called a buddy and he was like, Hey, we're doing this radical, like kind of church plant thing out in Denver. Um, I'm in Kansas city at the time. He's like, you should come hang out. And I'm like, I heard there's good weed in Denver. I'll come out and just check it out. And uh, this is in what? Oh, seven, I believe. And I came out and it was like, it was everything that I was like, it was like a 20 something people all living together, um, eating meals together, living communally. And like with these, these big dreams, we're going to like build this movement. Uh, it was a church, right? We're going to plan a church and it's going to be a movement, but it's going to be totally different. We don't care what you look like and we don't care what you, you know, if you swear or whatever, like, but it's going to be this uh, just like radical, give everything to Jesus type of thing. Right. So I was like, fuck yeah, this is cool, right? I can live here rent free, <laughs> just like work with you guys. And for me, I was like, this is this is what I want to do. So uh, I had bought a Greyhound ticket out there, and then I, you know, I brought a I bought a round trip bus ticket, and I had to go back and get my car. And I just the next day I got off the bus, I got in my car, I loaded all my shit up, and I came out to Denver, and I moved into this one bedroom apartment with like seven other dudes. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was like it was like just like a one bedroom apartment, like I don't know what it was, like three hundred square feet, and it was just like air mattresses laid next to each other. And uh, I was like, this is cool, this is rad. Right? Is it? Dude, for me, my little 17-year-old self, I was like, this is radical. This is crazy. Um, and I thought it's it like was cool. Truly hippies for Jesus. <laughs> that's what I thought, right? Like, that's what I that's what I was. And I realized there were some people involved in it that weren't really that that hippie, but they were doing this thing. Um, and so I was like, okay, this is cool. And so I spent a couple of years. We were originally living in apartments that we moved into this big house. At one point, I was like, I think there was like 30 something of us living in one old Victorian house down in, in Denver. None of us worked jobs. We were all working like, like we would all go out and like work like odd jobs for cash, basically. And then we would like funnel the money into a nonprofit we had started, um, like tax free, you know, right. And it quickly, like, not quickly, it was like slowly, it was like a slow boil. It like slowly became like this other thing, right? The leader of this movement, he like was a huge, uh, like, Hybels 
like fanatic right mm-hmm. and it was interesting i don't want to give them like shine on the podcast but uh there's a podcast out there about the uh douchebag pastor from up in seattle and mm-hmm. oh, yeah, the, yeah mm-hmm. Mars Hill, we've talked about yeah that. oh you've talked about all right well like yeah. i think the podcast is kind of shit and kind of, i think mike casper you know like owes like a lot more than he's given on that podcast no offense um however he did an episode where he talked about the founder's myth. Did you guys mm-hmm. listen to that one? Mm-mm. And he talked about how like, it's like this, like, cause he talked about in reference to Mars Hill, how like there was like this, like, uh, Mark Driscoll had this, like, we started this thing, this grassroots kind of like in my house type mm-hmm. of thing yeah. and how like, that's really kind of bullshit. And like, actually like they were like, had a ton of like funding and he had a ton of connections and mm-hmm. was doing, you know, guest preaching at the like crystal cathedral and, mm-hmm. you know, and how like that same thing was happening with like these like tech startups that we worship. Right. We're mm-hmm. like, Oh, it started in a garage to two guys with an idea, but that's not actually the real story, but that's this like, kind of like, founder's myth right mm-hmm. the idea that they just like bootstrap their way to like billions right two guys in a garage with daddy's money yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah with a bunch of money and like most of it's happening outside and they went to harvard or mit and whatever right like and and so the guy who was leading this organization that i was involved in uh this church plant he like kind of like worshipped this like this like Mar, uh, not Mars Hill. What's Bill Hybels church? Willow Creek. Yeah. Willow Creek. Right. Willow Creek. It had this, like, we started as like a group of kids. It was a youth group. I think it was called like sunshine ministries or something was like mm-hmm. Bill Hybels, like youth group that grew into Willow Creek, this huge mega church. Mm-hmm. And so we started kind of buying in. I started buying into this idea that like, okay, well, like we started with this like really organic, small group of people, but like we could, grow and if we could grow after after four years of like living in really shitty unresourced terrible like you know circumstances environments it was really easy i mean it's really cultic type of behavior right like you Mm -hmm. make life really shitty and then you create a promise of something better and then you have control over people because people have no you know Mm -hmm. doing this for four years right so like i have no other hope outside of this and so it's like okay give your life to this and it quickly became like we were going to grow this like mega church um And so at that point I started buying into a lot of the kind of the mega church rhetoric. Um, And I think that that's, that's what I, when I, when we talked earlier, I was like, dude, that's what I'd like to talk about is like Mm -hmm. as church planners, at least at that point in time, I guess this was like kind of like 2008 to like 2012, that era I mean, you had Acts 29 and you had Andy Stanley doing mm-hmm. all his church growth stuff and like Perry Noble was doing all the church growth stuff. And it was all about like, how do you build this big, powerful ministry? And that became the goal. It, it was no longer like live this like raw, organic, kind of crazy hippie life. It was like, how do we dress ourselves up? and appear, you know, get the best lasers and the best, you know, fog machines and like look big and powerful and, you know, like, like the big boys so that we can get resources and get people Mm -hmm. to join our movement. Right. And, uh, yeah. And that's, that's what we did. There was a bunch of dysfunctional (laughs) fucked up shit that was happening in the background that we could get into. Can I swear so much on your podcast? You can swear as much as you fucking want, dude. I do. We have have in the explicit market for a reason. (laughs) I just realized I've been swearing a lot, but uh, I wanted to ask now at this point in the interview. Can you imagine I just chop up all the all the like swear words? That'd be funny. (laughs) Create a lot of editing work for you. Yeah, I I think it's fascinating because like what you're talking about. I am a a mega church recoverer, and uh, and just like the 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 mentality of. I came into the mega churches that I was a part of. I came into when they were already at that level, but knowing other people like on staff and hearing them talk about kind of what, like they would never say it, but really the mentality of like, we need money 
to get money kind of mm-hmm. thing. So like we need money to get more people so that we can get more money and then grow to where we want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's a really wild cycle to think about. <laughs> Truly. I mean, I didn't grow up in a mega church, but I went to something similar. It was a house church where this guy was like, wanting to start this church with this cool group of people and we were going to be the ones that were going to then go off and do this house church model all together but it would be like this guy preaching and distributing his videos for Sundays and bullshit like that and eventually it was just like I don't know man this sounds culty and luckily for everybody it disbanded but I totally get what you mean. We weren't as hippie, but yeah, it was a weird like situation to be part of, let alone living with all these people like you were. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is like, it wasn't like, it was like about influence and we used to, Mm -hmm. I mean, we used to talk about it. Like it was like this noble thing, right? Like we need to appear influential and powerful and you have to create an air of influence for Jesus, right? Like, like, mm-hmm. like, because, because if we can feel in, like, if we can, if we can exude influence, then people who have influence will resource us to reach more people. Right. Mm-hmm. So it quickly became a, just like, how do you dress it up and honestly lie and kind of defraud people mm-hmm. of their resources because you were God's chosen person to do this. And that, that environment just breeds like the most like i mean just like gross justification because you can justify anything Mm -hmm. at that point right when you were like just totally indoctrinated to believe that your mission um and you look back at i look back at like who's the harvest guy what's his name greg laurie no, no, the other harvest. The guy up in Chicago. Um, oh. the guy who tried to hire a hitman to kill his son in law. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. About that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I forget his name. <laughs> yeah. Harvest Chicago What's his name? Dude, I don't I, know. Yeah, I don't even have my phone. I can't even Google. He 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 started a whole campaign after he got fired, um, coming after the the reporter that like that that james mcdonald james mcdonald harvest bible church (laughs) dude that guy dude honestly this guy this guy looks scary (laughs) he's terrifying him and mark driscoll were like like so rose uh corlin i don't know if you know that mark driscoll is still a pastor like an hour and a half north of where i live (laughs) yeah dude that's terrifying um my mom and i were taking my friend to the airport the other day (laughs) my mom is like look at this church that's a really weird building and it's like this weird circle with like this ginormous cross on the top and i look over and i just see trinity church and i'm literally screaming and i'm like that is mark driscoll's church and she's like how do you know and i was like that's mordor literally i was like aren't we in scottsdale right now she's like yeah we're in scottsdale i'm like 100 that is mark Mm -hmm. driscoll's church there he is like ugh, like never Burn it all to, down God, never coming to this part of town again like gotta get out right now <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean the guy so the guy who was like the, the the personality for the movement that i was a part of which never really gained a lot of steam right you always i always tell people i was in a cult and they're like which one I'm like <laughs> i don't know there's fucking thousands of them like, yeah. like you don't realize how on many netflix there's a lot <laughs> yeah you know i mean you don't really realize how many organizations um you know utilize this type of control uh to you know create these these organizations but like the guy I was, I was, I was following and being mentored by, like really looked up to these guys, like Mark Driscoll, uh, who's the guy that you just said, James McDonald. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were real, like kind of these tough man type of people. They use a lot of war rhetoric and a mm-hmm. lot of like, yes. you know, we got it. We're you know, there's no. I remember Bill Hybels at a leadership summit. And this is just gonna be me shitting on bad church pastors. My apologies. Good. <laughs> I remember Bill Hybels talking about no fair fight, right? It was a principle out of some war war book or war strategy book. And it and 
I forget who the general or, or whoever was that said this. It's like in war, we don't believe in a fair fight, right? Because we're at war, right? We're not here to make it fair. We're, we're here to win, right? So I'm here to make it as unfair as possible for the invading force, right? I want to make it unfair for them because I want to win, right? That's, that's war. And so like, we were kind of indoctrinated with this idea that's like, like, if you don't get the fuck out of our way, we'll run you over. And Mark Driscoll said shit like this, right? Oh, yeah, like 100%. If you don't get out of the way of the Marshall bus, there's going to be a pile of bodies behind. Right. And you, and so you begin to justify human carnage, right. And human, you know, uh, destruction of human life, destruction of human, like, uh, livelihood, because I'm not here to play around. I'm here to take lives for Jesus. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is a terrifying like proposition because what does that mean for ethics? What does it mean for, you know, the, the message quote unquote, that you're supposed to be promoting of like redemption and liberation and, you know, salvation, it's mm. impossible to hold those two things at the same time. And so it becomes yeah. about building something powerful instead of, you know, what it, what it, I guess is supposed to be about. Well, yeah. and, and there's like, there's parts of it that like make me like real emo because, um, when I went, to Bible college. Like I came from a church that was like, women can't do the thing. And then I went to a school that was like, women can do it. And then the, the church that I started going to, which was a mega church, um, like would talk about like Willow Creek and Bill Hybels a lot because he was one of the few like mega churches that like had women and like power and leadership. And they were like, look, like he's setting a standard, like, you know, like he's including women and like high levels of leadership and their church is doing this. And then you know, they had their global leadership summit, which even non-Christians would like buy tickets to because they're like, they're just getting a lot of smart people in leadership together to talk. Um, and then, yeah, his, you know, big old scandal came out of abuse and all this stuff. And it was just really like, for me being like, okay, so is there just like no one that can like hold the standard? Like this mm -hmm. freaking sucks. Um, and then, yeah, obviously there's people like Mark Driscoll and other churches that, for so long, like have gotten away with like blatant abuse that it was like mm -hmm. hard because it was like, okay, so we, my choice is either the, um, the, the like secret abuser that like will publicly say that women are equal or the public abusers that are like women are trash. Like mm -hmm. those are my only choices right now. Like that freaking sucks. <laughs> yeah. And even like this whole war rhetoric is something that is so foreign to me growing up in the Latin church, because I mean, growing up, I was told that I couldn't be a police officer or that I couldn't like join the military because there is no circumstance where you should be willing to take another person's life because you are a Christian. And then I grow up and I go to a Baptist church for some godforsaken reason. And then it's everybody, all these little boys like Mark Driscoll. And I mean, I liked that they let me curse, I guess, but it was the same story where, yeah, like I wasn't allowed to be in any leadership position because I was a woman. And I can't help but think that all of this is something that is so almost uniquely American because like America's all about like we're fighters and we are freedoms and da, 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 and we're gonna be everybody and lord over everybody with an iron fist and whereas in at least in Mexico that's not the case at all because we don't have like huge respect for police officers or the military or anything like that there's not really a whole lot of war rhetoric in the Mexican Christian circles, at least not, I hope not anymore. I don't know about these days, but yeah. I mean, I think it is, it's an American thing. It's also a capitalist thing and oh, like yeah. a colonizer thing, right? Like it's colonizers. with Hillsong, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, not American, but still very much about global. building a yeah. global brand and going and colonizing, right? Going mm. of Hillsong, South Africa and Hillsong, London and Hillsong, mm -hmm. New York, because we're creating a global movement to go and take over <laughs> the world, you know? Yeah. And it, it's funny because I, um, again, we had a previous episode where we talked about this and I talked about, you know, going on mission trips and like, what is that like? now and the thoughts behind it but 
one of the great things that did come out of those is really understanding the global like mindset of how different the American churches and how when you're explaining, so I went to South Africa, for example, on the other side of the country from where Hillsong is, um, Hillsong is on more of the, um, you know, in Cape Town, more of the like glamorized part of South Africa. Like that's where tourists want to go, where I was not in that area. And um, we went to a church that was primarily um, Indian because uh, if people don't know the slave trade, um, you know, they took black people from Africa to the United States and other places. Um, and then they took Indian people to Africa, like mm. just kind of how the slave trade works. So, uh, South Africa has the largest Indian population outside of India. I had no idea. That's yeah. wild to me. One of those things that they don't teach Whoa. you that in American history. America. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So being at this, at this Indian church and working with their nonprofit and, I remember talking to, you know, some of the, everybody's your auntie. So talking to some of the aunties and them being like, what do you mean that your pastor says you can't be a pastor? Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And me being like, that's super common in the United States. Like women just aren't allowed to do that. And for them, they're like, who said that? Like, who set this up? Like, that makes no sense to me. Um, Or again, even just the idea of like, like the certain, um, like obviously they have denominations, but even just more, even like, oh, these people don't get along with these people. And they're like, but aren't you like all trying to like win people for Jesus? <laughs> or like, yeah, but it's kind of like a competition. And they're like, well, that makes zero sense. Like, mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that's really interesting coming out of like this mega church culture was, you know, how similar it was to startup culture. Did either of you guys watch the Hulu documentary on WeWork? No. I watched Ooh. part of it. I didn't finish it. <laughs> okay. So, so I wrote a thread about this uh, a few months ago about Adam Newman was the, the CEO mm-hmm. founder of WeWork. And they did this whole documentary because he was very cult leaderish and like grew this like kind of like falsely mm-hmm. like magnified company to be worth, you know, $45 oh, billion dollars or whatever. I, I knew people that rented like WeWork space and That's I just wild. thought it was like, I'm like, why like i don't understand go to starbucks yeah they're like they're like this is like the office of the future it's like you want to work from home but not forever like we work and i'm like i don't comprehend yeah (laughs) and then they had like the communities they had like we communities where they were like having people move in together and and but the whole the whole the, the like, whole thing about startup culture was that it was about like creating this, like we are so huge and we're so powerful. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it was so fast because my long story short, my husband's worked in the construction industry for like a decade. And after we got married, I did a short stint at this company he worked at and we had so many, we work contracts. It was wild. Like I was like, how are these just popping up? Like, how is this sustainable? Like, this makes no sense to me. Mm. It mm. wasn't. <laughs> yeah, clearly. It was. Spoiler. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. I mean, at the end of the day, they they tanked, right? They went from $45 billion or whatever they were worth to like nothing mm-hmm. uh, overnight because it was built on, on nothing. It was built on this idea that like everyone perceived them as valuable. Mm-hmm. Like Hill. Startup culture tells us like virtually the same thing, right? You got to make your company look big. You got to make it look cool. You got to make it look influential. You got to make people want to work there and want to be there, right? You got um, to be relevant. You got to be hip. And everyone begins to kind of like worship this idea of influence. Mm. Like we can all have influence if we can cast ourselves in this way. I mean, I remember going on speaking tours with pastors who were going into mega churches who would show up and they would get Prada bag gift bags, um, with like, you know, like a thousand dollars worth of goodies in it. Right. And be put up in a nice, you know, suite or whatever. And the pastors who were footing the bill for this were like, it's worth it because we want to make our church attractive to other people who also have a message who can, and then it's justified, right? 
right? It's like, it's justified because if that person comes and speaks, they can bring more people who can bring more money, which we can do more good things for the world if we have more money, you know? Mm. This is why we have preachers and sneakers. A hundred percent. And being on the inside of it, I, I did justify it. I did. I did go. Oh, this makes sense. Like we want to help more people. We've got to get bigger. The only way to get bigger is to have more. The only way to get more is to spend more. Like exactly what you said. Yes, spend money to make money. Mm-hmm. And it is American capitalist startup kind of idea that you you gotta you've got to spend more to make more, and you got to grow and be huge if you want to be successful. And there's no end to it. So it just continues to these churches have how many campuses did Mars Hill have when they shut down sixteen? Yeah. Whatever. Right. I mean, they were just like, keep growing, keep growing Mm -hmm. because we can do more for God. Yeah. And then they, um, so like what I was talking about earlier, just being like a, a mega church recoverer of, (laughs) I left the mega church that I was working at and, you know, moved uh, a little farther South than Orange County was getting ready to get married and was like, Oh, we got to find a church. And like, went to so many mega churches because I was like, in my mind, I was like, well, that's the kind of church you have to go to. Like, you have to go to a church that's like young and hip and relevant. Like where else are my husband and I going to meet other young couples? Like we want to have kids. Where are we going to raise our kids? Like, and so went to like, just so many, uh, and exactly what you said, like my husband, did not go like left church kind of around when you did like high and high school, was not involved until we started dating. And so he went from small Lutheran church to all of a sudden the church I was working with had thousands of people at it. And then I started taking him to these other churches where he was like, why are we here? Like, I don't understand. We went to, we went to one church and we still joke about this. Um, the church that I was working at always had like free coffee and donuts. So my husband was like, that's cool. We went to this one church and he's like, I'm going to go get coffee, you know, assuming it's free. It's a mega church. Why wouldn't they have free coffee? It wasn't free. It was a dollar. And he was like, okay, fine. It's a dollar. What is this for your youth group? No, it was for their softball team. And he was instantly like, we are never coming back here. Like, you're going to make me pay a dollar for this coffee. And it's not even for like the kids. It's for your softball team. Like, we're never coming back. Like, How no much way. money does a softball team need? Uh, and, and just to, like... Listen, I'm just gonna. I'll just tell you, this is Mariners Church. It's a fuck game. Mariners. It's a I have a giant- personal vendetta against Mariners <laughs> Church in Orange County. Yeah. Actually, come for me, Mariners. Yeah, come for. Yes, this is a giant <laughs> church. I'm like, joining with you. They're, yes. They're, I can't even call it a sanctuary. It was honestly a stadium. Like we were like in the nosebleeds trying to listen to a Sunday service. And I was like, what are we doing? And then, yeah, the dollar coffee for the softball team. Really? My husband was like, I got a vendetta with these people. And then you took us to a tiny little Methodist church. Yes. And then I was like, Josie, I found a church that has like 20 people. Oh, and I love it. Don't I love that little place? I've always been very, yeah, I've always been very not into mega churches. Um, Again, probably because I'm Mexican, like in Mexico, everything is so little. Like there's not a ton of huge corporations. Like if you want a massage, you don't go to Massage Envy, you go to like a regular person who has massage like stations in their house or you go to the local place everything is so local and that kind of bleeds into uh when you move to america too like everything is local i buy things for my cousins and this person and that person whatever 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 and so mega churches never made sense to me i was like i'm not gonna know the pastors like he's not gonna know my name how does that make sense like how is he supposed to lead me to heaven if he doesn't even know my name you don't want to go to the walmart of church exactly i hate walmart I have yeah. another personal vendetta yeah. against Fuck Walmart. Walmart. Come for us, Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> Starting beef all over the place. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready for the beef, all of it. So what was the, what was like your tip of the iceberg? Obviously you're not involved in that anymore. So like no. what, no. what pulled you out or like what forced you out? Like, what was it? Yeah. So, so we had like, there's a lot of like kind of fucked up shit that was happening kind of like underneath, um, what we were doing. Um, I mean, uh, uh, a lot of like fraud. <laughs> wow. Like, yeah. It was just kind of like some general fucked up things, uh, that was happening. It's, I, 
I laughed to myself when you talked about the church selling the coffee for a dollar for the softball team. Cause I was like, man, just lie. Like we would just lie. We'd be like, this is for the kids, man. And we're like, dude, we have to pay rent, dude. <laughs> we're like, this is a hundred percent going to our youth group again. Then we would be like, well, like the building is like the youth group uses it. So like, we're going to pay rent with it. Or like, you know, I mean, nice. the youth group wouldn't be here if the pastor wasn't making his salary. So we're going to pay this pastor's salary with it. Right. But like, it's for the kids, right. Ultimately you justify, right. So we were doing shit like that, right. Like let's collect money for missions. And they were like, they mean new sneakers for, you know, the pastor's kids. Right. Uh, it's a mission. Right. And so hmm. there, there was some fucked up things that were happening, um, from like a legal standpoint, there was also like, um, a lot of like abuse, like the sexual abuse and some other things that were mm-hmm. happening within, I mean, this organization, um, and I was deep in it. Like I was like very much in it again. We never got to mega church status, although we always liked to sell ourselves as that. Right. So mm-hmm. we would bill ourselves as we were, I mean, our church made the outreach, you guys know, outreach magazine, mm-hmm. outreach magazine does the hundred, uh, fastest growing churches in America mm-hmm. uh, issue every year. It's like for like church planners obsessed with church growth. It's like the and big, you made it. We made the list, man. Wow. Uh, like two years in a row. Um, it was all bullshit, right? Like we would like we would like count people three times and like you know, <laughs> attend all three services and you know, <laughs> uh, we're like, hey, you three people, you came to all three services. You count as three people. And you're pregnant. Count another one. Yeah, count another <laughs> one. You know? Um, and so we were we were doing a lot. There was a lot of really fucked up things that were happening and that's that's but i was still like in this like okay but but eventually it's all going to pay off right we're going to be able to be like you know stephen furtick and andy stanley and perry noble and you know all willow creek and we're going to be able to help single moms and we're going to be able to do all this stuff and it's like we're just having to you know we're still small but we're growing right um ultimately like it really fell apart when a lot of the sexual abuse came out um and the control that was going on i mean we were all the people who were in the core were being super controlled um i mean we didn't have we were all living together so we didn't have homes we didn't have we didn't make any money we didn't have cars you know we didn't have any way to take care of ourselves outside Mm -hmm. of the organization um and people began to realize like, well, I think this is a cult. (laughs) And I was like, nah, nah, it's not. It's wait, I think maybe it is. (laughs) Um, Googling what is a cult. What is a cult? You know, you're like, oh, wait, A, B, C, D. Oh, I have all of those. Um, Ultimately, it just fell apart. Uh, We lost all of our financing. Uh, Everybody kind of turned away. Um, And even in that, I remember, I mean, you could probably find articles that I'm quoted in. We, 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 said it was for other reasons, right? Like we're being persecuted, common Christian stuff, right? The community doesn't want Jesus here. We're being persecuted for whatever reasons. And we would, we would create enemies to justify like why we were failing. Um, and, uh, ultimately it like, I guess it was like 20, six, would this be like 2000, 25, 2015, something like that. Um, I was just like, I'm not happy. I was like suicidal. I was, I, I never thought about killing myself, but I just like every night I would go to bed, like not wanting to wake up. Like, I just like no longer did this give me life because there were so many lies and there was so much abuse and there was so much harm and everything that had happened. I had watched people's lives really be destroyed all in the pursuit of like building this thing for God. And, uh, I was married. I met my wife through, uh, that, uh, organization. And at this point we had been, I met her when I, when I joined, when I was 17, we got married when I was 20. Um, we had my son when I was 22 and he was like five or something at this point. Um, and four or five, something like that. And I just like, none of us were happy we were miserable. We were living in terrible fucking circumstances. Uh, we didn't have like anything. Everyone had left us. Like I was continuing to serve this 
leader, this guy, this man of God who I thought had this plan and thought was going to create this whole thing. Um, and I was just like, ultimately I, I said to myself one day, I said, what do I want? It was like the first time I ever asked the question, like, what do I want? Because it had constantly been told me like, this is what you want. This is what you want. You want to save people for Jesus. You want to build this organization. You want to reach, you know, you want to have influence. You want to have power. You want to, you know, and I was like, I don't really want that. I just want to stop feeling like I don't want to wake up tomorrow. Um, and all of it for me was wrapped up in, in God. And so that was the point where I just let go of, of God. I remember driving one of our vehicles, not my vehicle, cause I didn't own one, one of the, the, the community vehicles to the gym because we were living in this facility that had, again, there was a bunch of us living in this like kind of dilapidated warehouse facility. Um, that was kind of like all we had left. We were about to kick, get kicked out of that cause we couldn't pay rent. Um, and we didn't have a shower. There was no shower. There was like a single bathroom, but no shower. So I would drive to the gym to shower and I would drive my kid to the, the, the gym to give him a shower. Like, uh, you know, like we didn't have a kitchen. We didn't have like, it was fucking terrible. <laughs> anyway, it's like, it was like a Netflix documentary to be honest. And, Oh, there's my, there's my kiddo now. What's up, bud. Hey, I'm recording. Okay. <laughs> Can I come get you afterwards? Yeah. All right. Sorry about that. That's okay. Okay. We love children. He's the best. So can you shut my door, please? Yeah. <laughs> Josie you, doesn't Bob. Josie doesn't like a lot of things, but she loves children. <laughs> Weirdly enough. That's awesome. I love that one, but in general, I don't love children. So. <laughs> How dare you? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately it was all tied up in God. I remember driving and just saying, like, God, we're done. I don't like it's not worth it to believe in you anymore. Like I've I've given my whole life to this and it was like you you just fucking used and abused me. And I was a true believer. Like I thought that like I was, you know, following you. And ultimately, like people have been sexually abused, you know, people have been financially abused. I've committed crimes, I've lied to people, like I've done all these terrible things, thinking that like I was doing something for you and, and ultimately like you fucking like I I've been had dude, you know? And so I just said, I'm done. And it took a while to like slowly kind of like figure out where we were to go from there. Um, and then it's been a lot of rebuilding since then and like slowly separating from the really toxic people who are kind of involved in that. Um, and then just coming to terms with like, how fucked up the situation was, but I had to let go of like, for me, the, the personified person of God who had a particular plan for me was too dangerous to believe in because that idea was too, was, was used for such harm in my life. And so I had to let go of it. Um, and that's why, that's why I call myself an atheist today. I, I, and a lot of people who hear my story go like, well, that's not the real God. And, you know, you're, you know, you just were in a really bad situation. Um, but to some extent, I almost am grateful for how extreme the situation was because I now look at other less extreme situations and I can see some of the same dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And if I had been in a less extreme situation where it was like, oh, people are being like raped and people are being robbed, uh, but they're just slowly getting their autonomy stripped from them or slowly being abused through uh, patriarchy or purity culture, these like more subtle, harmful things, um, I may have stuck in it. And mm -hmm. I think the extremity of, of what I went through, again, you know, a lot of people will say that like, oh, well, that's not all, all churches or all situations. But like, for me, I, I see the same types of practices that were present in my really kind of like extreme fringe case cult church plant. I see them present in lots of ministries and lots of religious practice. And honestly, a lot of the theology 
that pervades most of American Christianity. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I still go to church, but even like, because I do, I'm aware of like the same, like what you're talking about, like those things that make churches culty or that are like the precursors of harm or whatever. I often have to remind, we have a new pastor now and he's like, cool i guess um and he likes <laughs> nice things and i'm like i understand that you like nice things but we're a church full of people who have deconstructed have left and come back and we don't like nice things because nice things tend to signify bad things going on you know you have to sacrifice a lot to have the nice things you know yeah i and how do you get around that i'm curious like what your take is i i talked with a pastor not too long ago. And I was like, I, there's a lot of ideas about church that I still really dig. There's a lot of ideas about, you know, faith that I, you know, I'm one of those weird atheists who I still like pray. I still like to like, I, I love the Eucharist. I love being involved in religious ceremony and some of that religious practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I struggle with like how you can have a formal uh, organization formed around a personified deity uh, and not have it go wrong. I mean, I'm not so sure it's not going to go wrong. I'm still, you know, it could, I don't know, (laughs) but I mean, it's like a, a weird mix of like our volunteers. I make sure that they're not scheduled every week because that gets to be abusive, right? Like you have one week on one week off minimum. Um, or like I'm a graphic designer, but for church, I use Canva because Mm. nice things, but let's be a little basic because, you know, it's just, when you get to like the certain levels of graphic design, it's gentrification, it's Hillsong, it's Bethel, it's, it gets to be like this pretending something that we're not. And I have to keep reminding people like, we're dinky and we're gonna let people know that we're dinky and that we're cute. We have limited resources but we're fun. We don't expect you to believe exactly the same things as each other. We don't even expect you to believe in God. If you just want to sit here, that's fine too. Um, so yeah, it's just like a, it's a weird balance. I don't know if we're even doing it right or if I'm doing it right, I guess I should say, but yeah, I think that's, the, that's honestly the most comforting thing you could say. Cause if you're like, this is the way to do it. I'd be like, nah, I don't, I don't think I don't trust it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just, sometimes with my graphic design stuff, I'm like, God, what am I doing? I could do this so much better, but it's like that. I gotta stay true to we're little, we don't have these resources. I don't have the time. So Canva it is. <laughs> I love Canva. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, the church that I joined the staff of recently, they do like a monthly newsletter <laughs> and yes. the youth pastor was like, Oh, we're going to introduce you in the newsletter. But if you don't want to use a photo, you could use like a bitmoji. And I was like, nice. <laughs> <laughs> and like, like what Josie said, it's things like that, that like, it's really just like, this is who we are. Like, we don't have a ton of resources. We just like, and you know, like very honest about like, uh, maybe we like disagree on some things. Nobody has to believe the same thing in the interview. Like my, the, the lady that's on my boss, the pastor and like the other volunteer that interviewed me, they're like, so why did you leave ministry? And I was like, um, you know, because I'm just going to be honest, my, uh, commitment to the LGBTQ community is just non-negotiable for me anymore. And they were like, valid, like, cool. Why not? Mm. And I was like, cool. And that, and then also them being honest of like, not everybody in our congregation will probably agree with that because there's a lot of old people, but they're like, but we're very public about like, we support them and all are welcome. And I'm like, cool. Like, as long as the actual, you know, like the pastors are like, this is what we are. Like, I don't care if some old biddies, like, I don't know about that. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't think there is, I think your questions are valid. Like, and what Josie said is valid. There's no, there's no way to know that things are going to go right or if things are going to go wrong. And like you said, Cortland, I like have such a deep, like love for like the Eucharist and like being in community with people that, um, yeah, I, uh, it's one of the reasons I gave up mega churches because I like, I like liturgy so much. So mm. 
um, our church does a traditional and like a contemporary <laughs> worship. And my mom wants to go to the contemporary worship. And I, I will go with her because I like to go to church church with my mom because I'm in my feels like that but dang like I am like I'm at the point where I'm like maybe I'll just get up and go to the 8 30 by myself because I want to listen to the old lady sing the hymns and like be in like the liturgy and then I'll yeah. go at 10 and listen to them sing the stupid Kayla worship music that my mom makes like I love it just... I love that the contemporary is like it's like shifting it's like all it's like all circling around yes um so, and, and so all the younger people are like, yeah, I w- it's like 20 year olds and like 75 plus year olds. We're vibing together. Yes. And then like everyone in between, like, no, give me the electric guitar and the I, rich Mullins. I've been trying to explain this like to my mom so much about like, especially Josie and I have a joke that, um, if you're you if you do want to stay in the church, you're gonna end up a Methodist. Like yep. <laughs> we just think that you're gonna end up a Methodist because we We, we ended like, up Methodists. <laughs> and so many of our friends are like, Yeah, we actually really enjoy the Methodists and we're like, nice. Um, but yeah, I've been trying to explain this to my mom of like exactly what you said of like, we are so tired of the lights and the show that like I want to sit in the service with the 70 year old lady singing the hymn kind of off key because Mm -hmm. you know what at least it's earnest it Mm -hmm. feels real and it feels like this is this is people that are like we're gonna bring our gifts in like the most natural and authentic way not just like a we paid for auto-tune and Mm. I will probably vibe with that for the rest of my life you know I plan to raise my kid in the church and if they're like, mom, I hate the old lady singing. I'm like, that's fine. Like you can stop going at some point, but like for now, like, this is what I, this is what I need because I know what that electric guitar is like. And it is not, it's all, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, I think one of the things that, that for me was so freeing and it's funny talking with like my parent, my parents are not at all vibe, vibe. They don't vibe <laughs> where I'm at. Um, but I will tell them like, you know, for me, there was a, I read now like the Jesus and Nicodemus exchange. And I feel like the moment I had in that car with God saying, Hey, I'm done with you. I feel like that was almost like a born again moment for me because it allowed me to then connect with what was real around me because, because, and again, like it's this personified God, right? This like God that I can visualize and I can know what he looks like and what he wants and what he thinks. Um, and, and what he, you know, the, the fact that I'm even calling it, he, you know, like I I'm personifying God in this way. And when I, for me, when I let go of that, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Micah J. Murray. Um, mm-hmm. but y'all should check out Micah J. Murray if, if you don't, uh, uh, follow him, but the stuff that he's doing about this death of God theology, um, the idea that like letting go of God actually, actually for me allowed me to connect to the divinity that was all around me and all of a sudden i realized like all of these other things that i had been othering myself from that were real right around me letting go of and again i'm not trying to deconvert people but letting for me letting go of god allowed me to see my son and my wife and my parents as people you know and as as the physical all there is, you know, whereas before I was so caught up in like, they're temporary. It's about heaven. It's about the mission. It's again, it's this, like I'm living for the mission instead of living to just experience and love and feel and have community. So for me as an atheist, I'm able to, participate in Christian community and not feel othered, not like I'm othering anybody else, you know, where yeah. I never had the ability to that when I was in the church. That's so I, fascinating. I mean, my and to me, it feels divine. Yeah. I feel it's funny because the way you described all that um, and the divinity and everything, that's exactly how I feel after leaving the capital C church, but just like with God thrown in there, just yeah. for me you know like the yeah i see i see where you're going with this 
I mean, I think humans are dumb, but I saw where you're, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I got it. Yeah, I see yeah, the vision. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, humans don't have to be the central part of the story either. Exactly. You know, the yep. And the animals, they're probably more cool, but like, you know, it's just that the, the, the real world. And to me, even the Bible became more, when I let go of this, like it needs to be this narrative. And instead of going like, Oh, it doesn't have to be this particular narrative that explains the afterlife or this particular uh, 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 atonement theory or whatever, right? And I can go, this is, I'm just going to read this story for it being a story that mm -hmm. makes me feel something. Yep. Um, I talk to people all the time who are like, you're still a Christian. And I'm like, fuck you, man. But like, like <laughs> don't I, label I, I, me. Uh, don't <laughs> label me. Yeah. I just I I struggle with this like nailed down personified version of God. But I do think that that the language, you know, when we hear like Rachel Evans, when she would talk about God and Jesus is the language we know to talk about reality. I mm. vibe with that. I vibe, I vibe with that. And I, that's cool. I wish I could do that for me. The language is too, it's, it's too busted. Mm -hmm. So I can't do it. There's too many um, layers on it, but there's too many layers. It's been too fucked up. And so to me, like I said, when I hear Jesus saying to Nicodemus, you gotta get born again, right? You gotta think about it differently. So I just had to like come up with a new language to talk about it, but it's probably the same thing. Mm. like we is, probably believe at the root the same thing mm -hmm. is, is there a reason you you say that you're an atheist versus like an agnostic um yeah so so i'm not really good at like uh specifically uh verbalizing it but um agnostic and atheist and uh theistic aren't necessarily like three steps on the rung, right? A lot of times mm -hmm. people think about theists, uh, atheists, and agnostics as being these kind of middle betweens, right? Mm -hmm. um, the reality is, uh, uh, agnostic, and I'm gonna I'm gonna fuck up the language here, but like, uh, uh, agnostic versus gnostic refers to the knowledge of God, mm -hmm. and theist versus atheist uh, refers to the existence of God. Um, and so for me, I tend to be an agnostic atheist, meaning mm. that, that I don't believe in a particular God, um, but I'm agnostic in the sense that I don't believe the knowledge of God is, is particularly possible, right? In that mm. specific way. Um, I believe you could be an agnostic theist, right? I believe in a God, but I don't know exactly what that God is, right? Mm -hmm. Or yeah. you could be a Gnostic theist, right? You could, you could, uh, and so I think that there's the, the Gnostic agnostic scale works on either side of theist and atheist. I used to kind of qualify myself as a non-theist, um, the reality is like, I don't know, like fucking like, I don't know if like any of us are even here. Right. Like this, mm. I mean, this whole life could be a dream that I'm having as a slug on some other planet. Like who knows? <laughs> right. Um, uh, however, I do know that in my experience, what's right around me, um, exists to me, at least mm -hmm. in mm. this moment. Mm. And yeah. if you want to call it God, I'm cool with that. You know, I, uh, to me, calling it that get, got in the way of me loving and experiencing what it is. I I want to throw this out there because um, a mutual friend of mine and Josie's has a tiny toddler and he asked her, um, why are we real and some things are pretend? And oh, uh, yes, <laughs> I love that question. And honestly, like I that fucked me up. Like I've been thinking about it all week. <laughs> um and um yeah needless to say i'm scared for the things that my child will say to me in the future but yeah how why are we real and other things are protected oh my gosh well friends on that note <laughs> if you're listening before bed have an existential crisis yes have fun for free. Like, for free. yeah we sure will um i mean I, at least i sure will i love it though i love existential crises i thrive on them personally corlin we have loved having you and we hope that you accept our invitation to come back 
Whenever you want. Today, I would love, tomorrow. You want me to ramble on about whatever. I'm here. Yes. To do it. Oh, yes. Hell yeah. I um Josie knows that. Obviously, you know, when you become a parent, like you kind of get obsessed with wanting to know what other parents think. And so my desire is I would like to kind of have more conversations about that. So if you and uh, your partner want to come on and talk about that, I would love to. Yeah, yeah. I would love to. I mean, I'm just figuring it out. My strategy of parenting <laughs> right now is any question my son asks me about anything i go i don't know let's like do some research and figure it out i love that and then then we learn together you know yeah i'm into it as somebody who's uh planning on being a parent eventually yeah um although they're gonna mine are gonna come like kind of fully grown so not fully grown but like grown so i guess it's different but let's do it let's do parenting All right. Well, Cortland, where can the folks find you? Plug all the things. All right. Um, yeah, you can find me. I'm mostly on Instagram uh, at Cortland Coffee. Uh, I do have one of those names that is uh, extremely Googleable for better or worse. I can never be like, oh, that was the other Cortland Coffee that did that crazy <laughs> thing. Because uh, there's only one of me. Um, so Instagram, Cortland Coffee, Twitter, I do use quite a bit. Um, I'm on there at Cortland coffee and then for the podcast thereafter podcast on instagram and thereafter pod on twitter we do have a domain name but there's nothing there thereafterpod.com if you go there it's a splash page saying our website is supposed to be up like uh like six months ago but someday <laughs> it's gonna get up someday we don't even have a website so you're way ahead of yeah. us <laughs> yeah we got we got a we got a splash page that says it was gonna be here six months ago and uh it'll be here when it you know in god's time yeah be patient everybody fuck damn leave us alone (laughs) so yeah hit me up i love connecting with uh people so uh follow me on instagram shoot me a dm and uh we'll talk we'll hang out love it spence where can the people find us they can find us on instagram at speaking in church they can find josie at josie takes the world they can find me at Spence Rose. And if you'd like to send us an email, speakinginchurch at gmail.com. And Still yes, waiting. we get emails. Yes. Like, we do get that. We do get emails. So yeah, we're old. It's fine. We're old. I'm still waiting on my conservative friends. I'm going to remind everybody every week. I want it. Send your grandpas. Grandpas love talking to me about conservative politics. They think uh, I'm funny. Not everybody's grandpa is a conservative, Josie, okay? Mine is not. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> I'll send you my grandpa. Anytime perfect. anyone's talking about things, I will send you my grandpa. Yes. <laughs> love it. Make sure he consents to being recorded. <laughs> Anyways, friends, stay woke or get woke. Jeez, Bye. This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast.